Whatever you do, whatever you enjoy, you need your health. Welcome to the Original Guide to Men's Health, a podcast designed for men of all ages to learn about and access good health. This guide shares knowledge on how to be and stay healthy. Maintenance and prevention strategies, along with reviews of conditions and issues affecting wellness are explored. Please join me, your host, Dr. Richard Pellman, as I interview renowned experts who will provide you with timely, relevant, and vital information so that you can embark on a journey towards better health. For more information from this podcast, including take-home points and resource links, we invite you to visit our website, theoriginalguidetomenshealth.org. You can also find us on social media. We invite you to follow us there and share episodes on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. On this episode of The Original Guide to Men's Health, we're actually going to be doing something that we have not yet done. We're going to do a compilation for you of some prior episodes that I think are very important. As you all know, the goal is to keep you healthy. We want to provide health knowledge that's reliable, that's up to date, from experts. We're not selling you anything. We don't have any products. We just want you to take note of some things that can perhaps keep you healthier, let you live longer, and have a better quality of life. To do that, I'm going to present some clips from shows that I think are important for you to digest. And to help me do so, I'm going to introduce our show's producer, Sean Fox. Hi, Sean. Hey, Rich. It's nice to be on the show today. Yeah, well, it's great having you. Sean has been with us since the very first show. You just have never heard his voice, but he's been along and, and contributed mightily to this effort. So I've asked him to produce some of the clips that he would like you to uh, know about and that he would like shared. And I'll give you some of my clips and some of my episodes that I think are worthwhile that even if you've listened previously, I think you should go back and re-listen. And if you haven't listened to our show, you could maybe start with these and then go back to the website and find some additional episodes that you find that you would like to listen to. So, Sean, do you know there are Four silent killers. I really think there's more, but they're classified as the four silent killers for men. Do you know what those are? Okay, I'm going to guess here four silent killers for men. I'm going to ask a clarifying question. Are These aren't things like smoking or drinking, right? These are like heart problems or that, like... Well, you just nailed one of them. So cardiac okay, disease. Cool. And, cardiac uh, disease, I would guess probably some stuff to do with health and diet or movement of some variety. I don't know what the silent killers are, if that's not abundantly clear. The cardiovascular disease is my best guess. Okay, well, you did well. Let me go through a little bit. These are silent diseases that people may not really realize they have. And you mentioned the big one, which is cardiac disease, heart disease. We also have prostate cancer, and we have high blood pressure, and then diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And you brought up a common theme in helping to tame all of these, which is exercise and diet. So we're thinking along the same lines here, Sean. And what I have done 
is as my first episode for folks to review and listen to is episode 36, which is exercise and quick virtual workouts for anywhere with our guest, Lauren Updike, who's an exercise physiologist. It's easy to fall off the exercise wagon. Most of us do it. A lot of us do it consistently, but many of us don't. And so the trick is to continue to exercise wherever you are and no matter how old you are. Because if there is a common theme through every episode, it is if we sit, we die. Really, exercise will keep us healthy. And whether it's mental health episodes or whether it's the cardiovascular episodes or the metabolic disease episodes, exercise is vital. So I really recommend that our listeners take a look at exercise quick virtual workouts for anywhere with Lauren Updike. That's episode 36. And for more information about how to exercise, we've provided some links on the show's website at www.theoriginalguidetomenshealth.org. We can also find us at www.theoriginalguidetomenshealth.com. Sure. Um, so I picked three main benefits of exercise. The first one to me um, would be just, you know, as we age bone health. So when you exercise on a regular basis, your bones will adapt by building more bone and become denser. So, um, you know, just in research and just as we age, our bones unfortunately get weaker. Um, every few years. So that regular exercise is super key to keeping our bones healthy. The next one, obviously, our obvious one is it improves our cardiovascular health, which would result in lowering our blood pressure. Um, we'll have healthier cholesterol levels um, and also better blood sugar. And it also promotes positive physiological changes. So it encourages our hearts to work harder and then therefore more efficiently. And then probably the most important um, benefit of exercise, especially now, is it reduces our levels of stress. You know, those the good stress hormones like endorphins and chemicals in the brain that um, kind of are, are natural painkillers or mood elevators. Um, so now, you know, obviously that stress, it's exercise, just moving a little more each day is um, good for our body stress. Uh, every... Um episode that we have done on mental health has encouraged exercise. So it just has uh, significant benefits. And I know a lot of people, and I think I've said this previously, that they exercise for weight loss and then get discouraged because they're not seeing the weight loss. It's really not the motivation. It's a byproduct, but it shouldn't be the initial motivation. Exercise has so many other important benefits that I encourage people to look at those rather than looking at the scale Right. Unfortunately, society has kind of drilled that in our brains of that number on the scale um, or how we look is more important than how we feel and how healthy we actually are. And you said it exactly, you know, weight loss or body fat loss is just a byproduct of adding this um, great habit into your daily lifestyle. So, you know, when you run into folks and they say, I'd like to, but I don't. And you try to encourage them and tell them what we just went through uh, to give them a little bit of extra motivation. You say, you know, if you don't exercise, here's what could happen. 
Yeah, usually that's the eye opener, right? Or it's already happened. So obviously when we stop exercising, I think for the most part, most of us are active in our younger ages. And then, you know, all of a sudden you go to college and that window of time decreases and then you get a job and that window of time decreases. Even as an athlete, I went from, you know, working out and training as part of my daily routine to all of a sudden I was like, I had a career and the career was in exercise physiology, but I was working eight to 10 hours a day. So where would I find that window? So the risks of health of, of not exercising, you know, are, we feel it, our muscles atrophy and therefore there's more risk of injury. So, you know, that like, oh, I just turned around and bent down to pick up my shoe and I threw out my back. Well, nine times out of 10, it's because we're not avid exercisers or regular exercisers, or we've, you know, maybe we walk every day, but we don't incorporate strength training. So our muscles have atrophied in certain areas. We also feel it, you know, the poor cardiovascular health. We go to the doctor and all of a sudden our blood pressure is higher. Um, or we feel more tired or we can kind of tell our fitness has gone down. We can't keep up with our kids. Um, or we try to go out for that run and all of a sudden, you know, you haven't been exercising for a while. You feel that kind of that risk of health from not exercising, you feel less fit. It's clearly evident. We're also moody, right? So when you stop exercising or if you go long periods without moving, um, we get kind of irritated. And then some of us get really sad. I mean, exercise for me is, is my therapy. It's my own time. And I always, nobody comes back or finishes a workout unhappy or upset, you know, nine times out of 10, we're, we're in a much better mood and we're more productive and motivated to do more things throughout the day. My next selection was episode six, cardiovascular health, how to keep beat with your heart. Our guest, Eugene Yang a cardiologist. Here's Dr. Yang's comments on some underlying cardiovascular issues and how to keep yourself healthy. The major risk factors for heart disease are high blood pressure. Seeing your primary care provider to measure your blood pressure is important. Secondly, a baseline level of your cholesterol is also important as some people may have very high cholesterol levels because of a genetic disorder, and those individuals need to be treated at a very early age. Additional tests that should be done include screening for diabetes if you are overweight, and other things that we need to focus on uh, include uh, things that we can control. So tobacco use is a leading cause of cardiac disease. So if you're smoking, that's something that needs to be addressed. And then the things that are probably most important are really around diet and exercise. So diet is an intervention uh, that needs to be made early on uh, to uh, optimize what we're taking in our bodies. Uh, and those things have long-term consequences on our risk of developing heart disease, oftentimes impacted by the development of high blood pressure or elevated cholesterol and diabetes that are the result of poor diet. Finally, exercise is probably the most important thing. So when we look at the benefits of all of the things that we do in, in cardiology, for example, trying to lower blood pressure, uh, improving diabetes, uh, treating uh, cholesterol, 
the, the biggest impact that we see in reducing the risk of developing heart disease is exercise. So at least 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity exercise is, is probably the most important thing that we can do to improve our cardiovascular health. Next, I selected episode 15, What Everyone Should Know About Tobacco, Smoking, Vaping. Our guests are Sarah Ross-Files and Tim McAfee. Both are from Tobacco Research and Prevention at the University of Washington. And while you might think, well, is smoking a silent disease? It certainly has implications for the major killers. It's certainly fair to say smoking is an addiction. Nicotine is highly addictive. It's a really difficult addiction to break as well. You'll hear it, you know, I'm sure you can attend a lecture here at University of Washington where you hear it compared to heroin in terms of addiction. But beyond that, it is these environmental factors. You, Rich, mentioned earlier the warning labels on cigarette packs. What you might not know is that those have been very much influenced by the tobacco industry themselves. And you talked about how powerful it would be to have a certain message. Well, the FDA actually came up with more powerful visual messages about five years ago, and the tobacco industry took them to court to get those images thrown out because they had too much of um, an emotional appeal to folks, and they thought that was a violation of their First Amendment rights to be compelled to give an emotional warning on their label. So the tobacco industry has been extremely successful, not only at creating environments where smoking seems like an okay thing to do, even though we know the negative health risks, they've also been extremely skilled at going after the folks, and you talked about taking your first puff and when you cough, and the image that I have in my head when you say that is a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old. These folks, as Tim talked to, who aren't thinking of the consequences, who are thinking, I'll be able to quit when I want to, and also just don't have the kind of thought development to be able to consider what those health consequences mean until they end up in a point where they're addicted. And we have, at this point, the knowledge of being able to go through documents that were kept internal to the tobacco companies that were released during a major national lawsuit um, almost 20 years ago called the Master Settlement, where a lot of documents were married available. And great researchers have gone through those documents and found the inside thinking of tobacco industry executives saying things like, our consumers are dying, we need replacement smokers, and we mean children. When, we, when they say that and quotes around, well, we have to, using flavors and products, you know, you know who likes the flavors of lollipops and these other things where they're very intentionally appealing to a group of people that aren't an adult consumer who have the knowledge that we have. And they are at the same time adjusting the product itself to be more addictive. The amount of nicotine in cigarettes has gone up drastically over time. And until 2009, we actually had no way to regulate how much nicotine was in cigarettes or really regulate the product in any meaningful way until the FDA um, got regulatory control of the products in 2009. So we're playing a lot of catch up with an industry that has had um, decades, almost a century, to refine how to make a product very addictive and also to do the communications and public relations and even lobbying to make the environment really receptive to that product. I would totally agree with everything that Sarah said. Maybe it would be helpful for me just to talk a little bit about what we know about how people can actually quit in case we, because I don't, I don't want us to feel like we've just sort of, you know, had people melt into a puddle of, of uh, feeling like there's nothing that they can do around this. 
So the good, the good news is that we've also discovered a lot, particularly in the last 20 years, about how to help people quit. Even though it is highly addictive and even though essentially the tobacco industry has, has managed to do a whole bunch of things that make it harder to quit by, by having advertising, by having the product so easily accessible that it make it harder than, than something like heroin or cocaine. Um, but so what basically the, the formula for quitting that has been shown to work is, is number one, getting in touch with your motivation for why you want to quit. And this is also true with exercise and diet. Anytime you want to make a, a significant behavior change, it's getting in touch with your deeper reasons for why you want to do this. And some, for, for most people, that has to do with health, but it also has to do with effects on their loved ones. Uh, if somebody has kids, maybe they want to set a, an example. It can also be just financial, that it's becoming incredibly expensive to continue smoking. But whatever it is for you, exploring that and understanding it. And then the two big things that we now understand that have been added in the last 20 years is medications and some forms of coaching or counseling. And we know a whole lot about what works for those. We now have seven different medications that are available to help people quit. Five of them are just variations on nicotine, which paradoxically is helpful to quitting when used in one of the FDA medications, the gum, the patch, the lozenge particularly. My next selection is episode four, diet. Eat, drink, and be healthy. My guest, Marion Neuhauser, is a PhD, RD, registered dietitian. In this episode, Dr. Neuhauser reviews important information about diet. I also want to add that while she refers to the 2015 Dietary Guide for Americans, the Dietary Guide for Americans has been updated 2020 or 2021. You can find it online by searching 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans. So as we look at nutrition for a broad spectrum of population, and this is men's health, if I could make you the nutrition czar of the United States, what would you tell people who are listening? Thank you. I'll base most of my comments and thoughts on the 2015 Dietary Guidelines for Americans. That is a policy document that was issued uh, by both the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services after a very rigorous review of the literature on nutrition and health, and I was part of the scientific committee that produced the 2015 report that was turned into the policy document. What I think listeners would be most interested in hearing, and this applies to males and females across the age spectrum, is that what we recommended in the report is that people should be thinking about dietary patterns. In other words, you don't need to focus so much on minute amounts of nutrients. Did I get enough of this? Did I get too much of that? But focus on the overall diet, day in and day out, week to week, month to month, year to year. The scientific evidence base tells us that's the overall pattern of the diet that influences someone's weight and the risk for chronic disease rather than what you eat on any one day, such as Super Bowl Sunday or holidays, 
And that's really the most important thing to think about. The other thing that I think is helpful is that the science tells us that there's not one size that fits all. In other words, there are a number of healthy dietary patterns and we presented this in our scientific report. We gave some examples for what we call a healthy U.S. diet, a healthy Mediterranean style diet, which many listeners may have heard about the Mediterranean diet before, and also a healthy vegetarian dietary pattern. What these dietary patterns have in common is that most of them rely on having mostly a plant-based diet. And a plant-based diet doesn't necessarily mean that you can only eat salad or just eat vegetables, but think about plants first. So generous servings of fruits and vegetables throughout the day doesn't necessarily have to all be fresh, but often fresh tastes better and is more eye appealing. Lean protein as opposed to processed meats and fried meats. Whole grains, so really the majority of grains should be whole grain. We recommend that people have minimal amounts of what we call processed grains. So that would be white bread, white rice, white pasta, but instead opt for whole grains. They provide a lot of fiber, satiety, they help keep cholesterol levels low, and so forth. Uh, we also recommend low-fat dairy, and even in the vegetarian dietary pattern, it's important to remember that the plant milk substitutes that are dairy-like or milk-like that are very popular these days, such as almond milk, other plant milks, they don't have the same nutrient profile as dairy milk. So people who were choosing to have, say, almond milk, soy milk, coconut milk, any number of other options that are available from plant milks, if they're, if they're using those types of plant milks for a protein or a calcium or a vitamin D source, they should check the label to see if those plant milks have been enriched or fortified with those ingredients because it's not a one-for-one -one swap a dairy milk with a plant milk. The healthy dietary patterns also have a minimal amount of added sugars, minimal amount of saturated fat which primarily comes from animal foods but can also come from some plant fats and um, decreased amounts of sodium. You and I were talking and we came to the conclusion that it was really important that we direct some attention to some of our other major topics around other silent killers of men. First one being diabetes and metabolic syndrome. I would recommend that you listen to episode 27, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, and other common endocrine health issues with our guest, Dr. Arthi. Thermalay. Lastly, I'm going to include a silent killer that isn't noted on most searches, but is a significant problem, and that's deep depression and suicide. I'll refer you to episode 16 on mental health. We have part one with general depression with Dr. Dan Singer, and part two, deeper depression, suicide, and suicide prevention with Dr. Jeffrey Sung. I want to remind everyone that if you know somebody who's in trouble, or if you yourself are having issues, there is now a National Suicide Crisis Lifeline. All you have to do is dial 988. And the other silent killer that we mentioned was prostate cancer. 
which can be reviewed in episode 10. There's two parts to that. Part A is prostate cancer detection, diagnosis, and prostate-specific antigen, PSA. And there's part B, which is surveillance and treatment. That was with our guest, Dr. Daniel W. Lin. I think it's worth listening to that episode about prostate cancer. So, Sean, what were your selections? My clip selections for this year, I wanted to pull episodes from this year that I really enjoyed or that I thought were really important conversations. The first one being episode 52. We talked a lot about hiking and the importance of kind of staying safe outdoors as a hiker myself. I think the best thing and I think the most important thing with hiking is that sort of know before you go sort of thing. So the clip I pulled has to do a lot with good references for resources and information specifically about hiking in the state of Washington. While that resource is centered on the state of Washington, the episode itself talks about some very general cautions about hiking. It is another one of those episodes that if you are someone who hikes regularly and really enjoys being in the outdoors, whether that's skiing or anything of that sort, I think it's a really good guide to taking care of yourself when you're kind of in more natural environments. And as we're uh, wrapping up, Lee, your group is really a resource for a community of hikers and people who have like interests. So other community groups that are available that you're aware of? Well, first off, there are a lot of other groups on Facebook these days. When we started the Washington Hikers and Climbers page, there were two other hiking groups on Facebook. We each had a few hundred members. Now there are dozens of hiking and climbing groups, often geared towards a particular uh, niche. So you can always explore around Facebook and find those other pages. Even Washington Hikers and Climbers, we have five or six sister pages. You know, we have Washington Hikers and Climbers Gear Swap, Washington Hikers and Climbers for Newbies, all sorts of Washington Hikers and Climbers for researchers, all sorts of spin-off pages. And People who are looking for something a little smaller and a little more intimate have started their own hiking groups or hiking pages, and those are great resources in terms of meeting people to hike with and getting ideas about hiking. They tend not to focus quite so much on basic knowledge and information, but they're still uh, great pages with interesting people on them. Before I got involved with Facebook, I was in Meetup, and that's where I first started growing my hiking network beyond my close friends. I did Meetup for several years, and that is a great way to learn about hikes and meet new people and develop new friendships. The number one go-to resource in Washington for hiking information is Washington Trails Association. It's a great organization. You can find it online at wta.org. You can go there and read about trails, get the specifics of the trail, how long it is, where it goes, what's along the way, how much elevation you gain. You can read trip reports from regular hikers who've done the hike in the last day or two. They can tell you what current conditions are. Washington Trails does a lot of trail maintenance work. If you feel like giving back to the community a bit, you can volunteer for one of their work parties. Great way to get outside yourself, 
get some exercise and support the community. For people in Washington, I would highly recommend familiarizing yourself with WTA. And that's where I go first place to get all my information. If your audience is mostly Washington, you know, Pacific Northwest kind of folks, then actually I'll say a little bit more about search and rescue in Washington. We do business through my company with a couple different, actually several now teams up in Washington. In Washington State for search and rescue, Washington's actually been a leader, you know, because all these search and rescue organizations around the country primarily are volunteer, then that kind of leads to a large range of different different levels of training and capability for these organizations. But Washington State's actually been a leader in setting standards for the training for search and rescue volunteers and actually not just initial training, but ongoing recurrency training. So, you know, although I've not lived in the area, it's definitely my impression that I think that the SAR system in Washington seems to be pretty capable. The next episode I picked, I think, is all about something that I think, yeah, you know, at, at every point in time, you, you think about how to take care of your teeth well, you know, you, whether you've had a cavity filled or, you know, you sometimes forget to floss. I think episode 47 on dental health is a really great one. And the clip I chose was kind of breaking down a little bit more as to what really goes into the cosmetic side of dental health. People forget that dental health is important for general health. And I think our interview with Dr. Burt about general dentistry and common dental problems really highlights what you just talked about. In taking care of your teeth, you have to be able to enjoy good dentition to be successful, not only in just eating and having a pain-free mouth, but also in your presentation and daily life. And I think he really hit home with that. And that does lead to sort of the idea of cosmetic dentistry and having a nice smile, having white teeth, a lot of products that are sold over the counter for white teeth, a little background into cosmetic dentistry and what can be done. Mm -hmm. We've come a long ways on that. And I, I kind of addressed the materials before and how natural we can make those look. The whitening has gotten very sophisticated, even the over-the-counter products like things, products like the Crest white strips and things, they do work. They're a little bit tedious. I'm not sure that the bright white toothpaste and that type of thing are, are a good thing. I'm still kind of waiting on that. My concern with that is that to create that whiteness, they've increased the uh, abrasiveness of the toothpaste. And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the stiff bristle toothbrush, abrasive toothpaste and causing wear on the enamel over time. And like I said, because we're going to have our teeth for our whole life, we want to try and minimize the abrasiveness that we create on those teeth. In terms of cosmetic dentistry and improving people's smiles, there's a lot. The, the orthodontists are probably the first thing we look at in terms of alignment, but we can also mimic alignments with porcelain veneers where we can give the illusion of the teeth being straight, even though the underlying tooth may not be, and still maintain a regular healthy smile for people. And then missing teeth, this has been another revolution since I got into practice, is something called an implant, where it's a tooth analog that's placed where the tooth once existed, and it's allowed to heal for approximately four months, and then the bone totally encases it and locks it into place. And then you can treat it like a regular tooth, place a crown on it, and functions and looks like a normal tooth. So if somebody has lost a tooth either through disease and had it pulled or through trauma and has missing tooth, they can now have a complete smile. They can have a complete smile with a normal functioning tooth 
And it's amazing. We're talking about success rates of up to 95%. And my final clip, I think, has to do with something that everyone has wondered about how to be better at, and that's how to be there for someone who is in grief and mourning. And I think episode 44 does a really great job on talking about what the stages of that look like, how to be there for someone, how to best be there for someone who's in that stage of grief and mourning and what that looks like. And the clip I chose was really good advice for how you can be supportive of someone who is going through the loss of a loved one. Yeah, the end of life issues are significant, especially when it's traumatic grief. And uh, we had an excellent discussion with Dr. Jennifer Levin, a traumatic grief counselor, who took us through understanding and coping with grief and loss. An excellent episode, truly. And then for those that surround the individual, uh, you know, for the person who doesn't wish to be isolated, yet many people don't want to bother that person or intrude on somebody at this time. So what's a general rule for people feeling comfortable about how far they can intrude or not intrude or, you know, how can they help? And, you know, again, we kind of started with this at the beginning, but now we're in a very particular situation. Somebody who you know well enough mentions to you that they just were told they had X amount of time or a terminal diagnosis. Well, And again, I'm going to speak about this particular case. She has so little control of the remainder of her life. And so it's going to be about what does she want with her friends and her family and how does she want help from them? And it's not really going to be about what her family and friends can do for her. It's what does she want from them? Because at the end of life, She's lost all control over what's going to happen to the remainder of her life. And so making sure she has as much control about the last decisions that she has available, while at the same point, acknowledging that it's so important that the people who love her have a chance to express how they feel. And if she does or does not want, you know, visitors or things like that, finding a way that's acceptable for her to be able to receive their support, whether it's in a written way or a video or whatever. It's all going to be about what she's comfortable with and what's okay for her. So if, say, a friend, not somebody that they see all the time, but hears from maybe one of the other family members that this is happening... What's a safe way for them to approach this person? They may feel hesitant to do so, and yet still, on the other side, if they don't, after the person passes, feel some guilt that they didn't. So, you know, it's a human condition, and kind of give some advice just in general. And of course, we're all different, so nobody will hold you to absolutes. Yeah, and you know, you're touching on such an important issue that I train my staff on, because oftentimes... There's something called the ring theory, and I wish I had it in front of me to show you. There was an article in the LA Times about it. There's a series of rings. So if you imagine a dartboard, okay? So the person who's grieving or who's dying is in the very middle, okay? And according to the ring theory, you put comfort in and you dump out. 
So the person who's grieving or the person who's dying is in the very middle. And it all centers around their needs. And everybody else is external. So it's all about what they want and what they need. So the friend who may or may not be that close, what they want or need is peripheral. It doesn't matter as much as what the person in the middle wants or needs. And so they may have a need to express condolences, to express grief, sadness, or sorrow. They can only dump out their guilt or their sadness that they didn't get to do that to people who are more peripheral than they are. They can't dump in their sadness that they didn't get an opportunity to do that. And those are all the clips that we have for you. Rich, thank you so much for all that you do for the show. And I'm really looking forward to what's to come in this new year. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it here at the Washington State Urology Society with you all sharing the show and following us. It just means the world that uh, you've stuck with us. So if you've enjoyed the show and you like it, the best thing you can do to support us is recommend it to a friend to talk about these kind of things. Because really, at the root of the show and the very first thing that Rich talked with me about when we were coming up with the concept of this show is we want guys to live healthier, longer lives. And if, you know, we make another hundred of these or we make another, you know, 12 of these guys being more better equipped to talk about their health is always what we're looking to do here. Rich, any final thoughts? No, I just... I just would share with our listeners that we'd like to have more people find the benefit of the episodes so they can improve their overall health. So as we always say, stay healthy and take care of yourselves. This completes another episode of the original Guide to Men's Health podcast. We wish to thank all guests who volunteered their time and knowledge. The information presented is the opinion of the speakers. The show's recordings are engineered and edited by Sean Fox. Episode titles and descriptions, as well as editing assistance, are provided by Dr. Kathleen O'Connor, Ph.D. Music for our show is San Juan Bells, written and performed by Dr. David Weidig. The podcast is sponsored and published by the Washington State Urology Society. The original Guide to Men's Health is an original publication of the Washington State Urology Society. Reproduction and use without the expressed or written consent of the society is prohibited. For more information about men's health and previous episodes, as well as additional recommended resources, visit us online at theoriginalguidetomenshealth.com. This is Dr. Richard Pellman thanking you for listening and reminding you to take care of yourself.